0: Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, brought to you by Melbourne's Turnstile Network. My name's Ian McNally, and with me is... Matt Lavery! Matt Lavery, brilliant. How are you? Look, I'm very good. Excited for another fantastic Why wouldn't story. we be? Why wouldn't we be excited? We, we've probably got a bit of a confession to make to the listeners, Matt. We uh, we socialised outside of the podcast, but the way we socialised is we played board games now. <laughs> Now, I didn't realise that you're probably more passionate about board games than anything else. Well, I mean, I do enjoy a good board game. You didn't look like you were enjoying it at one point, I must say. (laughs) There was a point where you (laughs) snatched the feet out of the jaws of victory and it looked like the table was going to (laughs) go. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm a fierce competitor, okay? <laughs> well, let's get the wheel spinning and get you and to find out what is going to be this episode's
0: uh, topic, and maybe you can keep your keep your temper uh, oh, I'll together keep my temper on this uh... in check
1: if you don't mess around. <laughs> and in this episode, the topic is golden moments. Golden moments, you beauty. I'll take this one, Ian. Awesome! I'm i glad you said that, <laughs> <laughs> Ian. I want to talk to you about the the greatest AFL game of all time. The great, as it was then, actually VFL Victorian Football League, uh, the 1989 Aussie Rules Grand Final at the MCG. Oh, now this
0: is something fairly close to my heart, the AFL, because when you live in Melbourne. Uh, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's just inescapable. I mean, the the back pages of the sport pages of the newspapers. They go to halfway. They go to halfway and then... <laughs> and then a bit more. And then they start at the front as well,
1: <laughs> kind of eats the whole newspaper. It's just football, football, football. One of the things I love most about being in Melbourne or in Australia generally, I, I don't think it's just uh, the people of Melbourne um, that have this unbelievable passion And it's everybody, everybody of all ages, doesn't matter sort of what your background is or, or, you know, rich, poor, um, it goes across all sort of divides. It's fantastic. It's so, everybody's interested Uh, when the games are on, you go to a match, everybody's there. The attendances are incredible. And uh, yeah, you see people walking around the streets with their hats on and scarves. Really cool. So a golden moments like
0: there's been many in the AFL and VFL's history.
1: This one is just an incredible story. As I say, it's the 1989 grand final. The two teams are Hawthorne and Geelong. This story has so many subplots and twists and just remarkable characters. Uh, It's sort of hard to know where to start with this tale. This final had it all. John Farnham was there. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Playing. He, he's there playing, yeah. He, he went into was the uh, Geelong changing rooms before halftime oh, and a... gave it a go-cat. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, he wasn't
0: in the inside pocket.
1: He was, <laughs> he was, he was playing music. He was there. He that. was. It um, had a streaker, a back, dressed as Batgirl. Um, wow.
0: Did she have to leave early to go home for a dinner, dinner,
1: dinner, dinner, <laughs> dinner? <laughs> Good start, Ian. Get them in early. Yeah. <laughs> um, No, it really did have it all. uh, Some of the most cavalier, most brilliant Aussie rules football ever played, as well as some of the most bloody violence you're probably likely to see outside of the Coliseum back with the the Gladiators. It's just absolutely incredible. It's got it all. So, look, I'll start with the teams. Uh, Geelong and Hawthorne are the finalists. And Geelong hadn't made a final since 1963, Definite underdogs. They'd finished third in the table uh, that year, but they've sort of got this reputation for really attacking play. Their coach, Malcolm Blight, he's a young guy uh, in his 30s and he's sort of famous for this gung-ho approach, this, you know, you score 23, we'll score 25. Um, You know, as the old saying goes, offence sells tickets, but defence wins championships. Well, Geelong just didn't bother doing defense, I mean they didn't win any championships either. Um, in fact, it's probably hard to name a more defensively inept team of that era than Geelong, but it didn't matter because they just their mantra was so attacking they're just set up to score but they're known as they're called the Geelong cats,
0: and then anyone with a cat, this fits perfectly because you always leave the back door open <laughs> right.
1: there you are and they're living it. Completely. That's it. That's it. And look, they've, um, they've got a reputation for just being real sort of salt of the earth, local lads. I mean, back then VFL was was a part-time semi-pro sport. And, and, and it really just, some of the backgrounds or professions of these guys just really sort of sums that up. They've got bricklayers, horse trainers, garbage men. One guy is a plumber who, after the parade, was off digging trenches. Just most of the squads from sort of rural Victoria or around Geelong. Real sort of local lads, I guess. Meanwhile, Hawthorne, very different. They're the reigning champions. They finished first that year, uh, top of the ladder, with 19 wins and only three losses. Um, They've been to six finals in a row. This is their seventh final, and they're firm favourites for this game. In comparison to the Geelong salt-of-the-earth types, Hawthorne has sort of seen more maybe a, a private school type of club, you know, a lot of swagger. Their their focus is all around these flawless skills played at high speed and just fearless determination, which comes from their coach, Alan Jeans, who'd um, sadly had to miss the 88 grand final, which Hawthorne had won uh, because he'd, he'd had a brain injury. But he'd previously led Hawthorne to the premiership titles in 1983 1986 and then they won it in his absence uh, in 1988 and this is his chance uh, to get the fourth one in 1989 and as I say during that period they've been to six title, six uh, finals in a row and this is their seventh
0: and Hawthorne is although like AFL and VFL wasn't as parochial as say English soccer or something like that it's hawthorne is in the inner eastern suburbs it's it's a blue ribbon liberal pocket of melbourne very much so mansions and multi-million dollar houses Mm -hmm. geelong as you say is the opposite it's like the working class docks uh heavy industry the ford car plant is booming down there in the 80s this is a a brilliant setting already absolutely In, in as you mentioned before the Australian Coliseum, the MCG.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So as I say, Geelong had finished third in the ladder. They lost the the first of the prelim finals. In fact, they got absolutely humiliated by Essendon and then had to beat Melbourne to, to sort of stay in the thing. They beat Melbourne by 63 points and then they had to play Essendon again to reach the grand final and they smashed them by 94 points. So Geelong have got all this momentum coming into the final, but Hawthorne, They've got the pedigree. They've got the the, the sustained record uh, over the sort of past six or seven years. There would be a level of entitlement
0: beyond the, the private school. Would there be a level of entitlement to walking into your sixth grand final at the MCG? You know, the preparation before the game, turning up, you know, everything would seem so familiar. Whereas at Geelong, they must be kind of looking around thinking, oh... This is a bit nervous. a bit scared uh, about this.
1: Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, there's a really cool quote uh, by Dermot Brereton uh, of Hawthorne who described it as going out and standing in a swimming pool with no water in it and then imagining all of the water suddenly being in that swimming pool all at once. And some people are going to be totally threatened and overwhelmed by this feeling and others are going to quite enjoy it. And, and that's how I've sort of, he described going into that cauldron at the MCG in the grand final and all that noise and all of those flags and balloons and everything going off, all that attention. He, he described it as just, yeah, you wow. thrived on it.
0: It really runs deep, doesn't it? This uh has got a swimming pool in his house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's one of the key players in our story, actually. So let me tell you about him. He's got really big Burly fella, long, blonde, curly mullet, uh, real slick, sort of hanging off his shoulders. And he's got a reputation for being a real tough guy. And his story, Dermot Brereton's story, for this final, it actually starts much earlier in the season when Hawthorne had played Geelong in round six. And Mark Yeats of Geelong had jumped up for a ball. And as he does so, Dermot Brereton puts his hand up. To, to look like he's challenging for the ball. But actually what he's do, what he does is bend his knee and really deliberately make contact with the mid of Geelong's Mark Yeats. Um, he catches him in the unmentionables and Mark Yeats of Geelong falls to the ground injured. Dermot Brereton stands over him, this, the, the tough guy with the curly blonde mullet. That's an oxymoron, isn't <laughs> it, really? Well... <laughs> Back in 89 in, in Geelong, I guess, different things went on. But it, Mark Yeats is down injured and he has to leave the field on a stretcher. Well, Dermot decides to give him some friendly advice as he's leaving the field and stands and walks alongside the stretcher, telling him what he thinks of him, giving him some choice words, mentioning his partner at the time as well, telling him about his uh, his girlfriend, letting him know as Mark Yeats is sort of, yeah, t- taken off with unmentionable pain. <laughs> well, that's, it sounds charming. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you look, you could say he has history. Dermott's straight into this because he's got a reputation, as I say, for being this hard guy. He likes to let the opposition players know he's there. You know, he's been a big part of Hawthorne's success uh, over sort of the last few years. And Geelong, one of their players, has just won the Brownlow Low Medal for being a, a, the star player of the season. The Geelong coach, is, uh, he's, he's got a concept that maybe Brereton, Dermot Brereton, is going to try and get in there and, you know, how can I let himself...
0: Uh, Brereton's going to impose himself on the game and then if he does that, then you're perhaps at the point of no return. Exactly. Whereas it's, it's kind of, if we use like a... a A prison yard mentality which I know both of us are very familiar with. Then You if you walk in as the new guy in the prison, you you can look for the biggest guy and if you can take him out, then everyone else is scared. And here you're if you're the coach of Geelong, you're looking at Barons and you're thinking, If if we get him and we're able to stop him, Uh then perhaps we can
1: stop Hawthorne. Well this is it. So the game's about to begin. They line up for the bounce ball bounces and Brereton is looking for the first Geelong player to jump up and and sort of make contact with the ball so he can just dive into him but what he's not looking for is Mark Yeats who's just stayed a little bit out of the action a bit further away from the ball and just comes charging in and Brereton says he saw him about half a second before the contact and he absolutely nails him
0: very interesting, Dennis, at that first bounce because Yates came off the wing and went straight for Dermot Brereton. And Dermot's down on his knees, as you can see. Dermot Brereton down. I mentioned how Yates came through the centre, didn't have eyes for the ball, just went straight at Brereton and has put him down. A bad miss for Hawthorne because he's the one who can really get them going. And watch this on replay. You see Yates, there he is, number coming off the... Uh, Wing there, he only had eyes for Brereton, then goes over and bumps him again, but obviously he's done his ribs.
1: That afterwards Yeats uh, described it as an evener upper uh, for the round six uh, incident. But Brereton. <laughs> it's an yeah, it's an evener upper. Revenge. <clears throat> exactly. So Brereton's left with two broken ribs and a ruptured kidney after three seconds of the grand final. This
0: is the first three, this is the first bounce. The bounce. And this, like. If you've saved up all year to buy a ticket for this grand final, you kind of got your value for money already. Exactly. Three seconds in.
1: It's it's off. Like Wow. Brereton's on the ground and he turns grey. Like, you you know, you can look up the footage. He looks awful. Um, And then he starts vomiting. And the coaches are telling him to get off. Jeans is telling, Jeans is the head coach of Hawthorne. He's telling his guys on the sideline, you've got to get him off. He's... He's clearly not right for the game. But Brereton's not having it. He just keeps thinking about this impassioned speech that Alan Jeans has given him for the game, which had been quite personal and quite uh, nasty to Brereton to get the best out of him. That was sort of Jeans' approach with, with dealing with, with Dermot Brereton. So Brereton just makes this decision that I can't, I can't go off. So he just starts screaming. And then that scream sort of turns into a roar and then that roar just turns into him going bananas and he, he just says, I'm going to play on. Then the message came back to us that the doctor wanted to take him off the ground. <clears throat> the second message came back to me that Burriton
0: wouldn't come off the ground, so I just said, well, leave him there. Uh, I suppose mainly because I gave
1: him such a serve before the game and uh, I said, just push him down in the forward pocket. Now he went down there, he's given another opportunity, he just responded in a way and, as I said before, he was just an inspiration to us all. A few minutes later, the decision, I guess it pays off because uh, Brereton kicks a goal for Hawthorne. His reputation as a tough man is secured. And also that courage, bravery, insanity, whatever you call it, <laughs> playing on with <laughs> with a ruptured kidney and, and two broken ribs. It inspires Hawthorne. Uh, and they go in to the first quarter with a commanding 40-point lead over Geelong. 40-point lead.
0: And... I suppose, to explain to any listeners who haven't seen or don't know about the VFL or AFL, it's played across, four, obviously, four quarters, and there's no sending off or no yellow cards or red cards. No. So, despite the fact this is a grand final, you can be reported and subsequently um, reviewed by the, the league. That still stands now. But for the game, you can do quite evil things and stay on the field.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like, the referee you, there's says, no sanction yeah.
0: whatsoever. For And when you're in the grand final, then obviously you kind of
1: you could kind of wear a suspension for the six games next year because you've got the flag. But that's not the only incident in that first quarter. I mean, as I say, Hawthorne are dominating, probably inspired by Dermot Brereton. But Brereton gets into a fight with Steve Hocking of Geelong and they're violently knocking lumps out of each other over the boundary line towards the, per- the perimeter fence. Geelong are physical, but maybe they're spending too much time focusing on the, the physical side of it and trying to, you know, n- intimidate Hawthorne. Because Hawthorne are playing some, some good stuff and yeah, they've, they've got this huge point lead. But in addition to the hit on Brereton, John Platten is concussed. This big guy, Roberto Diapia-Domenico, Dipper, to his friends, (laughs) which is what I'll be calling him for the rest of the game. Dipper! (laughs) Um, Dipper's a great big lad, and there's this incredible footage of him holding two of the Geelong players in headlocks while one of them gets their arm free and starts punching him in the side of the head. And then a third Geelong player runs over and punches Dipper in the head as well. And you're just thinking, what is this? What is going on here? It's so violent. It's absolutely crazy. But that's that's not how he gets injured, being punched in the head. Dipper's injuries, it's actually sickening. He's jumping up for the ball. And there's a player called Gary Ablett Senior, who is one of Geelong's star players, you know, really, really talented, is in scintillating form, coming into the finals, has been scoring goals for fun. Um, well Dipper's jumping up for the ball and Gary Ablett Sr. is sprinting in behind him Dipper's got his back to him he's got his arms up to catch the ball and there's nothing he can do but he knows he's coming and Ablett hits him in the back sort of spear tackles him through his back uh, in the rib cage. Uh, Dipper just goes down he's in so much pain and when he gets up he feels like his body's changing like it's swelling up across his back he starts calling for the ball because he wants to play on. And he sort of realises he's got a bit of a squeaky voice, and it, which he can't really explain. And he can't really explain the speed of the swelling. Well, he plays on for the whole game, old dipper. Uh, and after the match, it's discovered he's played the whole game with a punctured lung um, oh, and two <laughs> broken ribs. And all that squeaky voice was caused because he couldn't get air into it, uh, into his lungs and... This, the swelling was air literally escaping out into the cavity in his chest.
0: <laughs> this is so hard to comprehend. It's mad, uh, isn't it? it? It explains, you know, when when I moved to Australia and a lot of people say, oh, I bet you like soccer. Like as though it's an insult. Because yeah. they're like, you know, that that's a game that people dive around and pretend they're injured and all this. I, think I understand the why. I mean, this is a battle. It's so brutal, it's so violent, it's just beyond the pale. And to m- imagine that these uh, players, which what on average you're kind of playing late 20 minutes per quarter, sometimes half an hour Yeah, probably close to half an hour, yeah. And the fact that they're playing on yeah. through over, well, deep, maybe deep over deep 90 minutes. would have played
1: minutes. on for probably another 90 minutes after puncturing his <laughs> lung. Um, Brereton played on for basically another... Two hours pretty much <laughs> with a ruptured kidney. Um And 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 as I say, they're not the only ones. On top of that, you've got another lad with uh concussion and another one who's uh, he's torn, torn of torn a leg muscle. So yeah, it's half time it's quarter time and it's, ho- quarter time. it's only quarter time. We're a quarter of the way through. <laughs> can, we, can we wrap this episode up right now?
0: It. <laughs> it's quarter time. This is too much action for it's one crack because well, well Sean, should we do the podcast over four episodes?
1: <laughs> you honestly could. It's it's hard, as I say. There's so many stories in this uh, this one game. It's hard to get them all in. Look, Gary Ablett Senior. As I said, he's been in incredible form, and he in the second quarter really starts to make an impact. He gets three goals in three minutes, and they really sort of start to 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 pull back a little bit. Um, but every time they score a couple, Hawks just get one more. So Hawthorne are sort of maintaining that, that distance. And they go in at halftime, 81 to 44. Um, so a, a pretty solid lead still for Hawthorne. But you can just imagine the state of their room. You've got Brereton, who's urinating blood and asking the doctor what to do. The doctor's saying, don't tell anybody. That's, that's the advice. God... <laughs>
0: You've got- <laughs> I really wish that, I w- wish to say the words, times of change, But I fear that there is still a lot of that that goes on in
1: professional sports. Oh man, it's crazy. But look, despite Hawthorne's lead, their coach, Alan Jeans, isn't convinced that, that, that they have the right mindset. So he starts to give this speech. Which all of the players talk about as sort of one of the most defining moments of their careers, and he gives this this incredible speech about when he was a young boy, uh, and he's talking about his age and his his brain injury that he'd had in in '88, and he he talked about saving up five dollars to buy a pair of shoes and working really hard and saving up and putting this in to get five dollars, but when it came to the day, he went to the shop, and he thought I could buy the five dollar shoes or I could buy a pair for $3 and I'll keep $2. And then a month later, the shoes fell apart. And he thought to himself, I wish I'd paid the price. I wish I'd put it in and paid the price. I wish I'd been willing to pay for what I actually wanted. And he said that sort of set his mentality. And he challenged his players and said, are you willing to pay the price? What's he talking about? Shoes. But they all sort of settled down and listened to him. And in the end, they were so inspired and they've gone back out. Before we get on to that, do you think
0: when he was a boy and he went to the shoe shop, he looked, he had the $5 shoes in his hand. The shoe shop assistant's looking at him thinking, he's going to buy $5 shoes. And then he tried on the $3 shoes and they went, oh, you've really put your foot in it now. That's awful. I
1: was wondering where you were going. I knew it would be somewhere back to anyway, bad. back to the VFL Grand final, 1989. So they go up. Uh, okay. Out they go, 37point lead to Hawthorne. And the third quarter begins just like the others, with another sickening crash uh, at the first bounce. This time it's Pritchard, um, who's been the first hawk, who's been the best hawk uh, in the first half. He's now smashed. The third quarter's close. Geelong get a goal or two, but Hawthorne just keep getting one back. And the Geelong mentality is if we can just get close that gap down to two goals which is 12 points or less. If we could just get within two goals, we've really got this. But Hawthorne just keep getting them at bay every time. Ablett scores again, Hawks get one back and they just sort of keep on going. The Cats, they needed luck. And a blind kick by Shane Hamilton zigzags and bounces his way uh, clear of a punch of Hawks. So they go into three-quarter time, just 36 points down. So that's six goals but at this stage, even the most devout Cats fans—I'm calling them Cats—the Geelong Cats—they uh, don't really give them any chance. You know, they're thinking it's just not—it's not, not going to happen. Thirty-six points is a lot. Hawthorne have got all of this uh, pedigree and, and recent history of success, but the the, the guys from Geelong—they're not there to sort of—they're not coming all this way to the grand final just to to give up. You know, and um, with Gary Ablett in the team, anything feels like it can happen.
0: And that's very much true of, uh, because those who know a bit about English soccer know Gary Ablett shares his name with Gary Ablett, who is one of the few players to have won the FA Cup with both Liverpool and Everton, but is the only player to have his name attributed to recreational drugs. (laughs) So in Liverpool, if you were out on the Garys' you're out on the tablets, the Gary Ablett's. Right. And when I got to Australia and everyone was talking about Gary Ablett, because Gary Ablett's got a son, Gary Ablett Jr., mm. who is also one of the greats, like his father. Everyone's talking about Gary Ablett, And I was like, this place has got a <laughs> drug problem beyond revenge. <laughs> so
1: anything is possible when you're on the Gary's. So... <laughs> so, so
0: so we're in the final quarter. We're in the
1: final quarter. And look, the Geelong coach, as I say, his his approach throughout the whole season has been to throw caution to the wind, his gung-ho tactics, and that's what he goes to. Groundless at the back. This could be the record number of goals in the grand final at the moment held by Gwyneth
0: Gary Ablett has kicked eight,
1: a chance to kick his
0: ninth that mistake coming from his brother-in-law, Michael Tuck on the outer flank, the back flank for Hawthorne. He goes look for goal number nine, and he's
1: it. And in that final frenetic quarter, they actually score eight goals. So they only needed six. They get eight. And Hawthorne are, are, are hanging on. Hawthorne ended up winning the the, the game um, by six points. That's how much wow. Geelong have sort of brought it back. In the second half of the game, in the final two quarters, Geelong outscore Hawthorne by 31 points and finish the game just one kick away from victory.
0: It's all but there as far as the Hawks are concerned. There's the siren. Hawthorne have won it by six points. A heartstopper. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just seen that classic.
1: both Hawthorne players and Geelong players said if that game had lasted another minute two minutes three minutes there was only going to be one winner and that was Geelong because Geelong had all of the momentum all of the impetus and Gary Ablett is one of the only players uh, to win the 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 man of the match if you like the MVP uh, on the losing side he kicked nine goals that day and one behind Wow and do you think he was on the Garys?
0: (laughs) I (laughs) think I think the play. Point... Or play for Geelong Cats, maybe he was on Meow Meow. <laughs> I
1: don't know what to do with that. So he's... <laughs> <laughs> but I like
0: it. So he's one of the the only players to have won on the losing side, which is for the Norm Smith, is it? Is yes, that, exactly. The Norm Smith Award.
1: Yeah, it's, it doesn't happen often. There, there's some pretty incredible stories, as I say. Yeah. Uh, You've got Dipper, you remember the guy with the punctured lung. Well, he's rushed to intensive care, so he doesn't actually receive his medal for another eight days. He spends eight days in hospital. The captain of Hawthorne, um, Michael Tuck, talked about John Platton, the guy who had concussion after a quarter time. Uh, John Platton says he can't remember the game, can't remember getting his medal or anything at all about about that day. It's absolutely crazy. You've got Alan Jeans. He became only the fourth coach in the post-war period to beat the helm of four or more premiership titles. And yeah, you got Gary Ablett sort of winning, but but not, you know, and he's there thanking God. And it is just an unbelievable game. And afterwards, Geelong sort of had a bit of a day and they wanted to, to get all of the Geelong players out. And, and some of them were quite reluctant to go in front of the fans and, and sort of have a bit of fan day to celebrate their successes and some of the players sort of felt oh you know it's not right we didn't win it but the coach said well that's not what today's about it's they're not celebrating the win they're celebrating the the story the achievement and yeah Hawthorne was so close or Geelong rather was so close to to a title for the first one in in 30 years uh, but in the end Hawks Hawks held out in probably the most brutally violent uh,
0: dangerous game. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I almost imagine you to finish this episode by reading a poem by Wilfred Owen or Siegfried Sassoon. Honestly, you about could. the bloodshed. <laughs> it was about this game. To think, in days gone by, like I believe that they didn't have a, an ambulance on standby or medical staff. They actually just called an ambulance <laughs> like if yeah. something happened. They called an ambulance. They didn't have medical checks. um as you say, the doctor as well
1: is kind of on the side of winning yeah, rather exactly. than medicine. Uh-huh. Well, look, at the end, Hawthorne only have 12 players. Oh, I think it was 12 or 13 players left on the field. I think 12 fit, but that includes one guy with a with a punctured lung and another one with a ruptured uh, ruptured kidney and four broken ribs across the two of them. Goodness. I mean, it's I mean, so it's, remarkable. Maybe no, when you put it like that, it's no surprise Geelong had the momentum. <laughs> My
0: goodness, there's been some brilliant finals since that perhaps we might cover in future episodes as well, but none as kind of gripping and brutal as
1: that one. Modern day AFL is a pretty rough sport and I'd say the guys playing are pretty tough lads. Um, But to to look at that back in 89, wow, It's, it's different. You know, you can't imagine it being legal you know there's physical assaults occurring everywhere you look um but the players all just seem to accept it and get on with it it's they, well, you, they're very different one of the really interesting comparisons is is body
0: shape so you look at the modern game and they're all kind of gazelle like there's big lads there but they're all agile and quick and fit and also because they can rotate the substitutes now yeah. they have the gate where they can come on and off it's like short bursts of you know energy and Whereas then you, you did have kind of the, the bloke who everyone would be scared of in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just there hanging around the
1: goal. Honestly, <laughs> I'd be kind of... scared of them all. Every <laughs> single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big yeah. guys. Absolutely. And great um, mustaches as well. Oh, really? Some, some really terrific mustaches, some really terrific mullets. Um, yeah, the 89 fashions were pretty strong down in, down in Melbourne and Geelong, yeah. There's a lot of this still in Geelong today, there. <laughs> but
0: what a great place, and what a what a brilliant story, Matt. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Wheel of Sport. Make sure you share it with all of your friends, not just a few of them. And we have had a few people um, who've got in touch with us, Matt. Oh, that's We've, fantastic. Uh, that's I've always had, nice. I've had one of the uh, listeners to the show, Blair Morrow, who is uh, he used to live in Melbourne. He's from Canada, and now he's in Japan. Oh, he's wow. either loves traveling or he's on the run. Could be that. So Blair has actually got in touch. He's actually sent us through a story, which we might cover in a future episode if the wheel allows. So uh, I'll let you know about that a bit later. But big shout out to Blair, who's in Japan, who listens during his long commutes on those quick trains they have. Oh, they're quick. <laughs> the bullets yeah. <laughs> yeah. so thanks Blair and uh, I'm sure there's a few of you who want to get in touch as well you can get in touch with us through Instagram or Twitter at The Wheel of Sport or send an email at sport at gmail.com and we shall see you next time thanks Matt thank you so much Ian at The Wheel of Sport just seen him um, cut down and, uh, and basically taken out and then he stands back up takes a mark and kicks a goal there's there's not much more you can ask for to sort of inspire your teammates